The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So take a little time and adjust so that you'll be comfortable. Stretch a little if you need. Yeah, so um, I think it'd be nice for us to chat together and I'll just review this theme. And uh, some of you I know have read some of the suttas, but there's really several um, places in the discourses in early Buddhism where the Buddha, mostly talking about the monks, but also the nuns and lay people to a lesser degree, just these ordinary situations of reciprocity where people are just appreciating being together, working together, taking care of each other in very natural ways as milk, uh, what is it like, milk and water, how well they mix together, living in harmony. And um, yeah, it's, it'd be interesting to just reflect together about well, what's actually in the way of living in harmony with each other. What ideas... And, you know, like, for example, one of the ideas that can feel in the way is, well, I'll get taken advantage of. If I'm friendly in a world that's like this, then I'm going to be taken advantage of, and I'll be left with nothing, something like that. Um, but, but having an attitude of friendliness, which... Remember, you can use the um, opposite, so it's like the attitude that is free of fear and aversion. That I can actually take care of myself, take care of my responsibilities. Do we need fear and aversion? Do we need that tightness to take care of business as a human being, to live a good life, to be skillful? And and then the other thing that people might want to share is like, how how does it work for you to keep friendliness in mind? What actually works for you in terms of keeping it in mind? And that that way of going from, you know, that more uh, specific involvement where I'm arousing, I'm generating, I'm bringing, I'm sort of using my memory, I'm using my ideas to provoke in a way, to remember, oh yeah, this heart is capable of love. Because I just remembered myself, because I was away for a few days, and I came home, our cat who spends most of its time outside, especially in the summer, you know, he came home and wanted to spend some quality time with me. You know, so we had our moments, and it, it's nice. He does this thing where his paws kind of go like this when he's happy, and it's a really nice little moment of reciprocity. My presence seems to make him happy. His pr presence seems to make me happy, right? And there's that very natural um, movement of love and friendliness. It's 
it's very natural. So I might use an image, a memory of that, and then I realize, oh, in this very real, very ordinary way, this heart can be really generous and loving, uncontrived. I'm not, I had to do the work of remembering, but once I remember, then the love is aroused. It's there. And then I pay attention to that actual movement, that upwelling. Because we want to sense that it's like that movement isn't, it's like there for the taking. <laughs> you know, it's not like I got to keep digging for the love. Once it's aroused, we notice that it is an upwelling. Now, if I take my attention away, uh, away from that, and I remember all the things I resent in life, then that fountain, that upwelling is going to get cut off. Not because it went away, but because I took the attention away from it. I forgot it, and I, instead I was remembering what that person said to me, and how that wasn't fair, and then I'm back in an aversive state. So we, we learn to arouse it, notice the upwelling, that generosity of the heart, noticing that it's boundless, like it can go everywhere in every way, boundlessly, generously, and then resting in that boundless radiance, that kind of effortless being the love. That would be good to share too. Like, does your experience line up with that way of mapping out the practice of metta or loving-kindness. Yeah, so it'd be nice to hear from some folks. You can introduce yourself with your first name. Feel free to share your pronouns so we don't uh, <clears throat> mistakenly misgender you. And yeah, just share. Or anything that relates to your practice and particularly the practice of metta, loving-kindness. Who would like to begin? And just go ahead and unmute yourself. It's a small group, so it's really okay for you just to unmute yourself. Yeah, we hear you, Cheryl. That's the work, isn't it? 
But but the key is each time we pick it up, Cheryl, if we're noticing one of those parts, we we are we're also noticing that it feels good. That really that creates the feedback, so it makes it a little bit easier to do the work of remembering or starting over because it feels good. But it isn't the habit. The habit is we like the drama and often the drama involves aversion and fear, you know, or excitement. But this is a different thing to keep in mind. It's not the usual kind of drama that we're really good at keeping in mind. So it definitely we're definitely rewiring and the and the real work is like you suggested it's keeping it in mind. And the key is if we can't keep the more subtle expressions of love in mind, like a boundless, generous being love, then we have to go to a more gross aspect of the practice. Well let me remember my cat or let me remember washing my dog. And let me remember what my heart felt like when I was seeing my dog and seeing that it was happy. And how was I feeling? Oh, there's that upwelling. Okay, can I keep that in mind? So use the phrase or the mental image. Keep it there as long as you need it there. But when the actual visceral our movement in the heart is clear enough, then see if we can just keep that in mind. Even if we use a phrase or a mental image, let that go into the background a little bit so that we're training the mind to keep this relatively subtle thing in the foreground. Because it is a, it's a whole training. The mind isn't used to keeping this in mind, right? Thanks, Cheryl, for getting us started. Did you want to say anything else? Okay, thanks. Who'd like to go next?
Thanks, Chelsea. Yeah, and, and that's one way, I think, like, if you really want to take this up about just the theme tomorrow, the rest of the evening, the rest of your life of just friendliness all around, you can think of it, you play with it both ways, like, can I be friendly with this? How about this? Can I be friendly with this? Another way is, like, what would it be like to be free of fear and aversion? So non-aversion with this. Because in a way, that's a more practical or grounded way. Because like Chelsea's example is such a good example of the wisdom in the mind deciding, I'm just too tired to pick up the aversion. I'm just not going to be averse to, the, to this anymore. Like that's a possibility to not be averse to this. Because that's really what metta, loving kindness is, is the absence of aversion. We often think of it as like, okay, I've got to contrive or be this friendly, generous, kind person. But it's really letting, realizing what a dead weight fear and aversion is and letting it fall away. And that can be a more practical way to remember what metta is than using the positive, like kindness as a, an attitude or friendliness as an attitude. Yeah, other thoughts that come to mind? Yeah, because they don't exist, they can't exist in the same heart, aversion and kindness. And you can just see, like when you're, when you feel pretty grounded in friendliness and metta, then you can go, the mind, you can invite the mind to go to those places where you have a lot of fear and aversion. And you'll notice it's, 
it's a different, the take is different. And that's why it's such a powerful antidote, like when we are caught in fear and aversion and hate, to not so much to think, okay, how can I love this person? But go anywhere where you, the mind gets established in kindness, you know, whatever you have to turn toward. Because it will, it will extinguish the being rooted in the fear, the hate, the aversion, if we find something. You know, you read some news and it triggers this kind of rageful, hateful, you know, attitude about somebody. And and because you've been sort of dwelling on that particular place of self-righteousness for a while, it's like a deep groove. It's really important to break those cycles. Or if there's some painful breakup or whatever in your past that your mind tends to dwell on, then instead of being in that place where your the mind is planting seeds for more hate, more aversion, you know, we can turn towards something where we can have a friendly relationship. And then it forces the mind to drop the activity that's not helpful to be dwelling in. It doesn't heal it, but at least we're not adding, deepening the groove, you know, spinning one more lap, two more laps, three more laps with the same kind of unhelpful attitude. So that's something we can confirm what Sandy was saying, that they don't, because the Buddha says the same, they just don't fit in the same mind at the same time, kindness and aversion. And we can check that out, because once we realize that that's true, then it's a very functional skill, like our, it's a, it's a useful thing to know about the mind in terms of taking care of the mind, taking care of the heart. Any other thoughts about that, Sandy? Yeah. Thanks. Any reflections on that movement from how the the particular skill set to arouse kindness, to notice the generosity, the upwelling of kindness, the sort of boundless radiant, like uh, yeah, just it goes everywhere, to the skill set to rest and abide and trust. Like in a way, I mean, I like this. This is partly in the tradition, but partly articulated by uh, this German monk, one of my teachers, Venerable Analio, um, and uh, I just find that useful. Like, oh yeah, I actually need four sets of skills. How to arouse it? Arousing it just means 
when I'm not particularly friendly or kind, what can I bring to mind that reminds me right here and now, oh yeah, this heart is capable of experiencing kindness and friendliness. How can I notice that generous, it's kind of an energetic generosity of kindness. How can I see that it's boundless? It goes everywhere. It's not dependent on a particular relationship, even though I might have used a particular relationship to arouse it. And I can actually, uh, in a meditative way, totally trust it, like absorb into it in a sense, be that love. By keeping it in mind so fully that everything else the mind isn't paying attention to. So that's the becoming or the merging is by being so interested. And to do that, we really have to, the mind or wisdom has to realize um, the healing, the ple pleasurable healing of that state of mind or attitude of mind. It feels good, right? And that's what allows uh, the heart to merge with it, is like, oh, I totally trust this. It feels good. It is good. I can put everything else down now and just be this love. Yeah, any reflections on learnings, uh, those four skill sets or any part of those four skill sets or questions?
Yeah. And if we, if the mind got fixed on, I have to do this, I have to do that, then I have to make this call, then I have to meet that, that, that might feel like a real burden in the heart. But if the heart is seeing all of those tasks, not as the task, but as an abiding in that generous, friendly, kindly way, then the task just flows out of that. Because what it's really about is meeting the moment with kindness, and then this activity flows out of that, then meeting the next moment in kindness. And because this is a thing about life, whether you're raising kids or college professor or whatever it might be, if the attention is more on the wholesomeness of how the mind is relating to whatever's next in our life, like even right now, we're working in a sense. This could be work for us, like, oh God, I'm here with a group of people, you know, trying to not make a fool out of myself or whatever. Or it could be just uh, an effortless love fest, whether we're speaking or not speaking. And it's really just the question of, like, the meaning our mind is projecting onto the moment. And so one thing to explore, like Kelly was talking about, is, and just start with places in your life that are relatively easy. Just instead of projecting, oh, this is a lot of work dealing with this person in my life or this situation in my life, just like, I don't know what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say, I'm just going to be friendly and I'll let everything else happen on its own. I'm just going to be in this generous, friendly, open place and see what comes out of me and the moment. And we might find that life knows how to take care of life <laughs> in a funny way. That's the image, some of you know this, but that's the image that's used in early Buddhism about metta, that it naturally knows how to meet the moment. And they give the example of pouring water in different size vessels and how water immediately feel, fills that vessel, that vase or whatever, perfectly. You know, it doesn't have to like figure out, okay, how am I going to get myself into that jar or into that, you know, thing. It just knows how to fill it to meet the moment. Thanks, Kelly. Robert, did you want to say something?
Yeah, and and the thing about your example that I bet a lot of us felt, Robert, is just the truth that it brings you joy. And that that's the real ticket as we explore being friendly uh, in life is to realize it really feels good. I mean, it's it's totally... I mean, it's just as... I don't can't think of a better word than crazy that we haven't been as interested in this practice as we should be because it feels so right, it's so functional, and it's pleasurable. And I don't know if, if this is true for some of you, but <clears throat> like even tonight, but when I do metta practice or any of the flavors of the Brahma Viharas, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity, I it's sort of like the that upwelling of love meets the armored heart, energetic tightness, right? And there's a little <clears throat> conflict, I don't know if you know, just just in a visceral sense, like part of the heart wants to open and then there's the habit of being tight, being fearful, being, you know, set, like in that defensive stance in the world. And uh, so in a way, it feels good, but it always reveals how I'm holding energetically, the habits of holding. And it takes a while before the habits of holding, the armoring, realizes, oh, maybe I don't have to be so tight, so armored, so heavy, right? And opens up. And this is the thing is, when we're tight, every situation seems like we should be tight. And when we're open with kindness, every situation seems appropriate for kindness. So it's self-fulfilling in that way. You know, if we walk around the world afraid and irritated and aversive, then everything looks like we should be relating that way because it, it affects perception. The tightness affects perception. Just like when, when our heart is radiant and loving and open, every situation in life seems perfect for more love, more kindness. It's contagious in that way. Anybody have any last thought? We have just a minute left, especially someone who hasn't had a chance to say hi and share a few thoughts before we end. Anybody? Really nice to be together. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.